Time for Seafood News. You're listening to the Seafood News Podcast. I'm Seafood News staff writer Ryan Doyle. And I'm Ernaberry market reporter Lauren Castiglione. This episode is brought to you by Ernaberry Consulting. Ernaberry Consulting provides tailored solutions to identify growth opportunities within the fast-paced protein commodity sectors. Combining the expertise of our analytical team, our warehouse of proprietary and trusted data, and unparalleled insight into market forecasting, Ernaberry Consulting will not only pinpoint developing global trends, but assist you in knowing exactly when and how to adopt them to maximize your return. Call 732-240-5330 for more information. And kicking things off today, after news broke of the closure of the Bristol Bay Red King Crab Fishery for the 2021-2022 season, more bad news was in store for Bering Sea crabbers. Scientists and the industry as a whole got a shocking look at survey numbers for snow crab late last week and heard a discussion on it on September 13th during the first day of the week-long crab planning team. Declining numbers of snow crab compared to 2019, when the last survey was taken, have scientists, managers, and industry members grappling with the numbers they have and the far larger set of information they do not. Male snow crab abundance in the eastern Bering Sea is down 70% from 2018, a decline of 2.7 billion animals. Recruitment is worse. The abundance of immature males is down 96% in the eastern Bering Sea, a decline of 5.5 billion individuals. The story is much worse for female snow crab. Adult abundance is down 70% or by about 2.7 billion animals. Recruitment or the abundance of immature female snow crab is down by 99% from 2018, a loss of 2.6 billion female juvenile juvenile snow crab. That's insane. It's wild news. We've been on top of it all over. Uh, you know, your fellow uh, colleague yes. there, Lauren, uh, Janice Schreiber, our, our, another Ernerberry market reporter, has been on top of it today. And um, as Seafood News contributor Peggy Parker put it, who's been on, on top of this story um, and, it's, and it's been in the, at the crab planning team meetings, um, she put it, uh, how, why, at what age and where unanswered questions despite ongoing research and investigations at NOAA Fisheries, Alaska Department of Fish and Game, and at several universities and research foundations. So we will be keeping a close eye on this on seafoodnews.com yes, for sure. and all the UB Seafood team. <laughs> and in our next story, Anchorage's acting U.S. Attorney Brian Wilson filed a motion in opposition to a temporary restraining order filed by American Seafood subsidiary Alaska Reefer Management and an affiliate last week. The court action relates to penalties issued to the two companies and others in violation of the Jones Act that have exceeded $350 million. The penalties began August 9th and included frozen seafood shipments from Dutch Harbor to East Coast markets by way of foreign-flagged vessels and Canadian railways. That route was approved as a through route in the Jones Act, which protects American-flagged vessels from foreign competition when moving cargo from one U.S. port to another. The Jones Act includes a third proviso section from when it was first enacted that recognized and allowed as an exemption those seafood products that ship from Alaska to Vancouver, then over Canadian rail to the Great Lakes and on to eastern markets. According to the motion and declarative statements filed, the focus for this conflict is indeed the 100-foot railway in Bayside, New Brunswick that ARM and KIFF have been using since 2012 and the lack of new rate tariff filed with the Surface Transportation Board at the time. Prior to 2012, the route involved the New Brunswick Southern Railway that actually delivered cargo from seaports in Canada to the U.S. border at Maine and to points south. 
And now the Pollock industry that is impacted by the CBP fine said that if the courts don't intervene, there will be serious harm. John Connolly, president of the National Fisheries Institute, warned of extreme harm beyond the individual companies and customers impacted by the CPP action as well. Connolly, among others who filed declarative statements in court, noted that if supply lines do not open quickly, many quick service restaurants and other restaurants will begin sourcing fish product from foreign suppliers such as Russia and China. This could potentially displace wild Alaska pollock in the U.S. market over the long term, impacting tens of thousands of American workers. As we move forward on this story as well, Lauren, be sure to we'll get the latest up immediately on this saga on seafoodnews.com. We're all over it. Yes. So speaking of seafood news, there were a ton of headlines that we have to quickly break down on the podcast today. So first, Nomad Foods, which is the parent company of frozen food brand Bird's Eye, is getting set to introduce cell-cultured seafood in Europe. Blue Nalu, a San Diego-based firm developing products directly from fish cells, has agreed to explore the introduction of cell-cultured seafood in Europe, where demand for sustainably produced healthy seafood products continues to grow. The agreement includes a collaboration to conduct market research and identify consumer insights, assess regulatory requirements, and explore new business and product opportunities that would be unlocked by the introduction of sail-cultured seafood throughout Europe. And next up, the USDA is set to publish requests for applications for a new grant program, the Seafood Processors Pandemic Response and Safety Block Grant Program. The $50 million SPRS goes along with the $650 million pandemic response and safety grant. Together, the programs will support agriculture stakeholders who have yet to receive the substantial federal financial assistance during the COVID-19 crisis. Now, these grant programs will provide assistance to small businesses in certain commodity areas, including small-scale specialty crop producers and processors, shellfish, aquaculture, and other select producers, meat and other processors, distributors, farmers markets, seafood facilities, and processing vessels, according to the USDA. And last up on this busy week here, we got Lauren, is the Responsible Offshore Development Alliance has sued the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management over the approval of the Vineyard Wind One project. The project is set to construct a 62-turbine offshore wind energy farm off the Massachusetts coast. Ann Hawkins, executive director of Rhoda, called the decision precedent-setting and called it a critical that Boehm gets it right so future pro- projects follow a trusted roadmap. Unfortunately, this lawsuit is the only recourse fishermen have to ensure the fishing community's concerns are addressed, Hawkins said. And for our final story of the day, some restaurants are having to adjust yet again to reopening and welcoming customers back. The Wall Street Journal reported that major chains like McDonald's and Chick-fil-A are slowing their dining room reopenings as rising cases of the Delta variant of COVID-19. Other establishments are taking other routes, including utilizing as much outdoor space as possible before the weather cools. The publication noted one restaurant owner from Cleveland who said last month she saw sales dip after a rise earlier in the summer, citing concerned consumers over the virus. So here's a few stats Heather had and noted in her story. First, data from Black Box Intelligence found that sales were growing earlier in the summer have fallen in the past five weeks. Also, bars and restaurants lost 41,500 jobs in August, the largest monthly decline of any single sector, according to the Labor Department figures released this month. 
and this marked the first decline in the food service industry since December. Yeah, Laura, I'm, gr- I'm growing a little concerned about the winter could have in store for these restaurants. They've really had to persevere here, it seems like, the last year and a half, and it seemed like it was right. getting better in the summer. You know, I was definitely out to eat a lot more um, with those outdoor yeah. patios in our area, and you know, I'm hoping September and October will still be nice, and I could still do that. Um, but you know, I, I, I'm a little nervous that some maybe the older population of those that are a little more compromised might not be heading back out this winter, um, and you know, restaurants are going to have to again maybe focus a little bit more on takeout and delivery like they had to um, last winter. Right, and there these restaurants are no strangers to you know being flexible and you know switching gears when they need to, but you know we need a break. Yes, hundred no, <laughs> percent. And 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 we keep hearing you know that the U.S. is following um, you know trends of the U.K. and they had a quick rise and a quick fall. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know in COVID cases, so I'm hoping that we see that here and things things can get back to normal very quickly because. Everybody needs a break. Yes, 100%, especially uh, as the weather <laughs> cools down. We're going to be stuck indoors anyway, so get right. some good news when the weather cools. Uh, but that's going to be it for us today. And once again, this episode is brought to you by Erner Berry Consulting. Call 732-240-5330 for more information. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.